Oh, Father, thank you, thank you that we can call you Father. And the love is on the move in your presence. And so we welcome that Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence here to move, to meet us right where we're at. Lord, we're all at different places, emotionally, spiritually. But you're here and you are with us. So we offer your hearts and we, we open our hearts to you and ask you to speak to us from your word. Apply it to each one of our lives and situations, Lord. For your glory, God, we love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So hello, Christ community. Glad all of you are here. Welcome to those who are watching online and those in our traditions venue as well as our friends in LaSalle. Glad that all of you are are joining us. Before we jump into the message, I, I wanted to mention something because, um, because we're a family here. Uh, we wanted to let you know about a specific opportunity to invest in a ministry need here at our church. As many of you know, we have some significant acoustic challenges in this sanctuary as it relates to our worship experience. And so we recently had some audio expert type people uh, come and assess our room and make some recommendations that we believe will significantly improve the sound issues in this room. And there are two recommendations. One, it has to do with replacing and repositioning our speakers, which are like 17 years old. Um, the second recommendation is to more fully acoustically treat this room with added panels as well as improved encasement for our drums. Um, none of these items um, are included in our current year's budget. And so we wanted to just mention this need and give you an opportunity to contribute financially to it if God lays that on your heart. We really feel like the acoustic treatment of this room is our first priority. So that's where these donations will go towards. Um, and we're hoping that we could possibly do the new speakers next year depending on, on our, our financial situation. But if you're interested in making a contribution to this over and above your regular giving, um, we're going to put a slide up here um, where you can um, see the, just the different ways you can do a check. Um, des it just shows you how to designate it in the different ways. Just make sure it, you designate it so that it specifically goes towards the sound system. Okay, so thank you. Thank you for your amazing generosity in so many ways. Um, so, okay, today we are continuing a teaching series um, called Closer, in which we're talking about um, relational health, really. How to experience emotionally healthy relationships. And one of the questions that has surfaced in, in response to these messages is this question, okay, all of this is great stuff, you know, great information, but what about when it doesn't work? You know, what about when you're in a relationship where you're trying all these cool listening, you know, things that we talked about last week, but this person continues to dominate the conversation all the time, right? Or, or what about when conflicts occur over expectations or, or unhealthy interactions or just kind of plain old sinful attitudes? See, whether we like it or not, relational conflict happens, even in the most healthy of relationships, conflict happens, so from the book of Genesis, the start of the Bible, all the way to the book of Revelation, we see people experiencing relational conflict. So the key is not the presence of conflict. The key is how we deal with conflict. How do we handle conflicts when they happen with our coworkers or in our marriage 
or with our extended family or with our neighbors or our friends. As a follower of Jesus, this is a really important question that goes beyond simply, you know, uh, certain conflict resolution techniques. It, it really gets to the heart of Jesus' vision for us as his followers. In Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus delivers one of the most powerful messages ever given, and, and he's describing the values of the kingdom and how we can live according to those values. Check out what he says in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus is saying that one of the characteristics of us as his followers is that we are to be peacemakers. In other words, we are to actually move toward conflict in a healing way, actively working to bring peace in the midst of conflict. But let's be honest, that is not our instinctive response to conflict, is it? We're not going to do any show of hands here, but it's not our typical response to conflict. When it comes to conflicts, our natural tendency is not peacemaking. It's one of two other approaches. The most obvious is what we might call peace-breaking. Peace-breaking. In peace-breaking, we respond to conflict by going on the attack, right? And this response is almost always rooted in anger. It's almost always rooted in anger. Um, so Paul gives us a description of this kind of conflict in Ephesians 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That's quite a list. But as Paul describes here, anger, relational anger, can manifest in all sorts of ways. The obvious are yelling and, you know, slamming doors and hitting. Um, but it also can manifest in more passive, aggressive ways, using sarcasm or slander, the malice that he's talking about, right? Or giving someone the cold shoulder whenever we see them. And the problem with all of these responses is that they actually pour gasoline on the fire of conflict. They actually cause it to escalate where this person just responds back in anger and everyone's escalating. Or it causes the other person to emotionally shut down and the conflict just goes underground which leads to the second and much more common way um, we typically uh, uh, re re response to conflict, and that is what we might call peacekeeping. Peacekeeping. See, peacekeeping is all about avoidance, right? Avoidance. Avoid the issue altogether. Don't talk about it for fear of rocking the boat, you know, or, or fear of making this person mad or, or hurting their feelings or whatever. Keep the peace at all costs. Just sweep the conflict under the rug. Pretend it never happened. Act like it's no big deal. Stuff it. Now, here's, here, here's the irony. We actually often, we think this is the Christian response, to conflict, right? After all, we're being nice. Uh, we're supposed to keep the peace, right? We're being nice. We're making sure everyone is happy. We're just keeping the peace. But here's the problem. Peacekeeping is like freezing a corpse so that it doesn't get sicker. Because the, the peace that we're trying to preserve is not real peace. It's a cheap imitation that forces the conflict to go underground. Here's how one author describes it. Misunderstandings arise, this is when it goes underground. Misunderstandings arise, but they're never resolved. 
feelings beg to be shared, but they're not. Offenses occur, but nobody talks about them. Doubts about the other person's integrity creep in, but they're never dealt with. In time, such relationships deteriorate. The secret agendas of hurt and misunderstanding lead to detachment, distrust, bitterness. Feelings of love begin to die. It's the story of too many marriages, family relationships, and friendships. See, that's the problem with peacekeeping. We may be faking a smile on the surface, but all of the feelings attached to that conflict, they're still there. They just go underground. The bitterness, the resentment, the doubts about this person's character, the negative assumptions we make about them, all that stuff goes underground, and it starts festering. It starts festering impacting how we see this person, how we respond to this person the next time we see them, right? We start to distance ourselves emotionally, relationally. And in addition, we often end up sharing our insights about this person to all of our closest friends or whatever, which then, or all our coworkers, which then, guess what? It poisons their attitude towards this person as well. So avoiding conflict, it may feel like the easiest option, the easiest route, but it creates an underground cesspool of bitterness, judgment, contempt, which leads to relational devastation. Okay, so what does it look, those are the, the two ways we tend to resolve conflict, but it's not the vision Jesus has for us. So what, what, what does it look like to live out this call of Jesus in our lives to be peacemakers? Well, there, there are a few key principles that Jesus clearly and consistently articulates in this teaching about relationship, in his teaching about relationships and conflict. Principle number one, prayerfully examine your own heart and life. First step, it's really important, prayerfully examine your own heart and life. Before we ever go to a person to have a conversation about this conflict, it is so important that we get alone with God and we look at our own stuff first. So look at Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Um, Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Notice Jesus is not advocating for peacekeeping here. He's not. He doesn't say ignore the speck in your brother's eye. Don't ever go there. Don't ever talk about it. Just focus on your own stuff. No, no, that's not what he says. Jesus says if you see something in someone else's eye, it is important to go there. You see something in their lives, it's important to go there. But before you do that, you've got to look at your own stuff. We need to look at our own heart and life to see any planks that we have in our own eye. Any, any, are there any ways that we are intentionally or unintentionally contributing to this conflict? See, this involves looking beneath, which was what we talked about the first week in this series. Healthy relationships start by looking beneath, an honest look at our own heart, asking questions like, is there something that this person is triggering in me? What is it? Is there something there? 
Why am I so angry with them? What is this anger about? We're looking beneath. I remember a difficult relationship I had with someone. We were in conflict. And as I unpacked what was causing my negative feelings toward them, I realized part of it was my own insecurity. I was jealous of a particular part of their life. I was jealous of it. And so I needed the Lord to bring his love and his, his forgiveness, his healing into these places of shame in my own heart so that when I did go to this person to talk through the conflict, I was doing so from a much healthier place. See, this look beneath also includes what we mentioned a moment ago, any negative assumptions or conclusions we've drawn. We talked about this two weeks ago, these stories we tell ourselves about people, these assumptions we make. We start filling in blanks. We haven't even talked to them, but we're filling in all these blanks about, oh, yeah, they're this, that, and all that. These assumptions we make. In fact, Jesus refers to them as judgments. And that, that's really, it, it, judgments that we make against someone. And what I mean by that is maybe we're hurt by someone and then we, or, or we notice this and then we make a judgment against them. And the judgment is something like, oh yeah, they're always self-centered. Oh yeah, they never, they never care what I'm doing. That's a judgment. You have made, I, whatever, we have made a judgment against someone. And as Jesus points out here, when we make a judgment against someone, it comes back to us. It comes back to us. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. And here, I don't know exactly how this works. It's kind of weird, but I've seen it. We, when we judge someone, we actually create a spiritual atmosphere of judgment that infects the relationship and it impacts how this person feels towards us. I know it, is, it sounds weird. I have seen this. I have seen this. Where someone has a judgment against another person and then all of a sudden God convicts them about that. They repent of that. And it dramatically changes the atmosphere of the relationship before they even have a conversation. There is something spiritual about these judgments that we make against people and they impact the relationship and actually kind of come back towards us in, the, in that way. So what we need to do, we need to confess these judgments to God. We need to confess, God, I've made a judgment against this person or I've made these assumptions that I've made about this person and we need Jesus to forgive us. Now, one other area in our hearts to explore is bitterness if we are harboring bitterness towards this person who hurt us, we need to forgive them. We need to forgive them for the hurt that they caused us. We, we bring this offense to the cross and we leave it there, releasing that debt to Jesus. That's what forgiveness is. It is canceling the debt. Now, this is so important because it releases our hearts from the bitterness that will eat us alive. Forgiveness is something we do for our sake. It is not something we do for this other person. Sometimes we think, I'm not gonna forgive them because you know what they did to me. You're, you're only poisoning your own soil, the soil of your own life when you do that. When we refuse to forgive, we're just letting that hurt happen over and over and again in our hearts and it just keeps poisoning us from within. So forgiving is something we do for our sake, not for the sake of the other person. Okay, so the first step, for, according to Jesus, for resolving a conflict is to prayerfully examine our own heart and with Jesus' help, remove any of our own planks of judgment, of bitterness, of insecurity, sinful attitudes, whatever. 
And by the way, if you feel stuck in a relationship, you feel stuck in a, uh, just forgiveness, judgments, bitterness, all that, I've mentioned before, we have this ministry called Hope Abounds. It's a prayer ministry. You can sign up for a Hope Abounds appointment. We'll just have a couple people that will kind of help you walk through some of those things to invite Jesus into those places. So, so I just want to mention that. Okay, that's first principle. Start with ourselves. Leads to principle number two. Gently and intentionally engage the conversation with the person. We are to go to the person, this person, and have a conversation. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. See, notice we are not to go to 10 of our closest friends and share what this person did to us. We are to go to the person with whom we have had the conflict. Right? And, and, and let, me just, let me just give an important, uh, important disclaimer here. <clears throat> if the other person is not a safe person to go to, I would encourage you to find a third party, a mediator, a counselor, who can help facilitate the conversation, okay? If you don't feel safe, find a third person. I'm not saying avoid it. I'm just saying find a third person. Um, if, if you're in an abusive marriage, please get help. Verbally abusive, physically, please get help. The principles that we're talking about right here, they need to be applied differently in those kinds of situations. I don't want anyone here to think that I am encouraging you to go into a potentially abusive or harmful situation just to have a conversation, okay? Those are kind of unique, separate situations. Okay, back to the principle we're discussing. Jesus urges us to move toward the conflict by having a conversation with this person. Now, if you're thinking, I'm not going to them, they hurt me. So I'm going to wait until they come to me, right? I'm going to wait until they initiate. It's their issue, you know, that, that whole thing. That's not what Jesus says. It's not what Jesus says. If this person sinned against you, you need to go to them and talk it through. In other words, if they hurt you, you need to go to them and talk it through. Now, but that's not the only direction. Jesus then broadens this further. In Matthew 5, 23, he says that if you remember someone has, who has something against you, in other words, if you know someone has a problem with you, or you suspect someone might have a problem with you, something maybe you have done to hurt them, whether you feel like, you know, that their feeling is justified or not, that's irrelevant. If you think someone has something against you, Jesus says you are to go to them and be reconciled. Notice, Jesus puts the onus on us either way. Either way. If we're the one who hurts someone, if we're hurt by someone, he puts the onus on us either way. This is the, this, the gospel, living out the gospel following Jesus. We are to go to the person face to face. This is not the time for emails, for texts, or messaging. No, this is the time for face-to-face -face dialogue. And here's why. As we talked about last week, face-to-face -face dialogue allows for genuine listening to occur. The kind we talked about last week, the kind of listening where two people feel heard and seen and known, where immediately di immediate dialogue can happen. That's the atmosphere in which conflicts are healed. 
I mean, I have, you probably have as well, I have attempted sort of conflict resolution through email. Oh, man. So they send a long email, um, and then I spend hours composing a response, pulling out certain sentences that they said, and I'm going to exegete those, you know, and go after those, defend myself and all that. And so then I spend two hours responding, and then it's, they spend like two weeks responding to my response. I mean, that's crazy. That is just crazy. That is not the way to resolve a conflict. And neither is texting, by the way, uh, which we talked about last week, some of the issues there in terms of listening. It's just not the way to do it. Jesus commands us to go. Go to the person. This is kind of a lost art today, isn't it? Just going to a person and having a cup of coffee and talking about it. But that's what Jesus says we are to do. If you can't be there in person because they live you know, thousands of miles away or whatever, set up a FaceTime you know, or Skype with them, all right? So it's sort of face-to-face. Okay, so now let's talk about the actual conversation. I think it is really helpful to be prepared, to be prepared to think through this conversation, how you're going to approach the conversation. Now, as I've mentioned in previous weeks, um, this series is loosely based on some material um, put out by Peter Schizero. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and just a number of different books he's written. All really good stuff. So some of what I'm going to share next um, is adapted from one of those books. So there are two simple phrases to master when you are bringing up an issue with someone, an issue that is causing conflict. Again, you might just sense there's conflict, or you know this person did something that hurt you. There there are two simple phrases to master. We're going to practice them, okay, saying them at least. Um, So the first phrase is this, I notice. Okay, can you say that with me? Say that together. I notice. Great. Okay, I notice. This is such a powerful statement because it allows you to state a concern without it feeling like an accusation. For example, Mom, I noticed that ever since I moved back home from college, you regularly give me unsolicited advice. Or, or, or Mark, I notice that you don't answer my texts for like a couple of days. Or... Hey, Jordan, I noticed in our small group the other day that you made, kind of made a sarcastic comment about my job. Or, you know, I noticed that when I see you lately, you just seem kind of distant. You, you seem kind of distant. Again, the language of I notice helps minimize the possibility of this feeling like an accusation. Not accusing them, just, hey, I noticed this. You're just stating something that you are observing. Which leads then to the second critical phrase to use, and that is, I feel. So let's practice this one, okay? Say it with me. I feel. Okay, this statement then allows you to share with this person how their behavior makes you feel. In other words, how you're experiencing them. For example, mom, when you give me unsolicited advice, I feel hurt. Because I think that you don't think I'm responsible enough or smart enough, even though I've lived on my own for four years at college. Or, Mark, when you don't respond to my texts for a few days, I don't feel like you want this friendship to continue. That's how it feels. Or, you know, when you made that sarcastic remark about my job in front of our friends, you know, I really felt hurt. Or, you know, I just feel like maybe I've done something to hurt you because I've noticed this distance, so maybe, I I just feel like maybe I've done something to hurt you. 
Okay, so this I feel really, really powerful. Notice here, we are not saying you always or you never, okay? Strike those from any conflict resolution, you know, conversation because they're just not helpful. Always and never, just not helpful words to use in a conflict. They put the person on the defensive. And also, we are not using passive-aggressive things like sarcasm to get our point across. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We have an issue, but instead of actually just talking about it, we make a joke about it. We make a joke about it. But the joke is really rooted in there is an issue here. So instead, we're using I notice to state the issue, and then we're using the phrase I feel to describe how that common interaction felt to us. Both of these statements are really important. If you only share the I notice part um, and never get to the way it's impacting you, the person will not think it's that big of a deal. So they'll probably just ignore what you said, okay? They won't think it's a big deal. If you never get to the I feel part, both of these are really important. So several months ago, a close friend of mine with whom I meet regularly started canceling our lunches, canceling our meetings at the last minute. This happened like three times in a row. And I found myself getting increasingly frustrated with him for, first of all, just for the late notice. I could have scheduled something else that I know, right? Um, And then I also found myself feeling hurt that our friendship was no longer that important to him. Everything else seemed to be more important to him. So I ignored this for a while, um, but then it happened again. And I just kind of felt my blood pressure, you know, rising. And I was like, I, I need to say something to him because this is impacting our relationship. So I did. I said, hey, look, I noticed how the last few times we've planned to meet, you've rescheduled at the last minute. And this makes me feel like our friendship is not that important to you. So I notice and I feel These are two really helpful statements that enable you to clearly communicate to someone in a reasonable manner. Okay, now here's the deal. This is very important. Once we say those two things, we need to stop talking and let the other person respond. (laughs) This is really important, okay? We we have got to give room for dialogue if this is going to work. This is not the time for I notice, I feel, and, you know, I think you ought to do this, this, this. No, no, no. Stop after the first two. Stop. And let the person respond. Okay, so now we're going to switch perspectives here. Let's say you're on the receiving end of someone coming to you to address a potential conflict or a conflict with you. Your response, my response as the listener, as the person they're coming to, is so important. And it ties directly in to what we talked about last week in terms of genuine listening. This is not the time to interrupt. It is not the time to defend yourself. It is not the time to get angry or to dredge up stuff from the past. Well, last week you, you know, all that stuff. This is not the time for that. All of those responses will completely shut down the possibility for healing and resolution. So your initial goal when someone comes to you with their hurt is to understand what this person is saying and how you made them feel. You know, you may want to try to just restate what you're hearing. It sounds like my advice giving has really made you feel like a child instead of an adult. Or it sounds like my last minute canceling of our lunches has really hurt your feelings. 
Now, at this point, it is totally appropriate and important for you to apologize. I am so sorry for how I have made you feel or how that made you feel. And when you apologize, avoid at all times using the word if, okay? If you're just waking up now, this is the one thing you want to hear, all right? This is really, really important, seriously. If you wonder why your apologies don't ever seem to kind of help, this could be one reason. Eliminate the word if. I'm sorry if my words hurt your feelings. There is no if. Your words hurt their feelings. Your words, my words did hurt. Whether you think they should have or not is irrelevant. It is irrelevant whether you think they should have been hurt by what you said or not. That is completely irrelevant. When we use if in an apology, well, I'm really sorry, if, we're not really owning what we did. In fact, we're sort of putting the fault back on them as if it's really their problem. They're too sensitive. Well, if that hurts you, okay, I'm sorry. You know, it's like they're too sensitive. They're the problem. No more if, okay? Um, the other word to avoid in an apology is the word but. I'm sorry, but I was in a hurry. Um, I mean, that, that feels like an excuse couched in a superficial apology. It's not an apology with a little excuse. It's the other way around. It's an excuse kind of couched in a superficial apology. See, own the hurt. Own the hurt that you made them feel. Even if you wouldn't have felt that way, if you were in their shoes, doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. That is irrelevant. This conversation is about the hurt that they experienced from you. Now, once you've apologized, it is then an opportunity for you to share your perspective. Sometimes it's helpful to ask, just could I share with you kind of my perspective on this? Again, this is after apologize all that. See, this is not about excusing our behavior at this point, but it is about having the opportunity to dialogue and to bring clarity. So when I talked to my friend um, about his last-minute cancellations, he said to me, I am not excusing anything I've done, and I am so sorry for how this made you feel. This friendship is important to me. So he said all that, and I appreciated it. And then he said, now, can I just share what's been going on in my life? And then he told me about how some medical challenges they've been having and some, some family issues that had contributed to his cancellations, which helped me understand what had happened. We were able to dialogue openly about it rather than just letting me fill in all the blanks. Oh, I don't think, he doesn't like me anymore. This friendship's not important to him anymore, blah, blah, blah. Just fill in the blanks. Rather than that, we were able to dialogue about it. Because often our conflicts um, they're, they're really multifaceted where both parties are contributing in some way. Rarely is a conflict 100% zero. Sometimes, but rarely, okay? Um, so that often conflicts are multifaceted. So the goal in a conversation like we're talking about here is not one-sided conversation. No, no, that's not even conversation. One-sided whatever. Um, it's not just one person just, bleh, here's all my stuff. See you later. Um, I got that off my chest. I feel so much better. That's not what this is about. It's for both parties to hear each other and to understand what happened and what contributed to that and then to own that and apologize. Even if you're only responsible for 2% of the conflict, you need to take 100% responsibility for your 2%, right? We're owning 
We're owning our part. We're listening, we're understanding, we're owning. This is both sides. And this is another place where, just a, a reminder here, if you feel like you're stuck, you've tried to talk about it, it doesn't work, it, the Bible talks about it. Jesus talks about it. If, if it doesn't work one-on-one, get a mediator. And so, so that can be a helpful thing. Find a counselor or a mediator that can help make sure each side is being heard. Okay? There's nothing wrong with pulling in someone else if you just feel kind of stuck. All right, which leads, this leads to the third principle, final principle here. Agree upon a path forward. Agree upon a path forward. This could be any number of things based on the conversation. So in the mom and daughter scenario, the mom might say, you know, I am totally willing to stop giving you advice, but I am your mother. Um, and I might slip up occasionally. Um, so would you gently remind me when I'm crossing these boundaries? It's a great, great response. In my example, my friend just promised to not cancel at the last minute anymore, and he hasn't. I mean, it has been so much better since we talked. I don't, he wasn't aware of how this was impacting me. Um, and so now it has been so much better. See, this gets into the clarifying of expectations that we talked about two weeks ago, being clear about our expectations and honestly discussing whether or not you can meet my expectations, right? That's just a legitimate conversation. Here are my expectations. The other person, okay, I think I can meet those. Or, boy, I'm not sure I can meet that. You know, and just it, it opens up this dialogue. Very, very important dialogue. Now, the ultimate goal here is reconciliation. That is God's heart, right? It's about reconciliation, where both parties agree on a path forward, and there are no lingering, unspoken issues beneath the surface. Everything's on the table, and there's a path forward, mutually agreed upon path forward. That's the ideal. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen, um, especially if the person you're in conflict, in conflict with is not applying the same principles. Like if when you share, they get defensive and they start blaming you or they get angry. You know, in that situation, you've gone to them humbly, I, I notice, I feel, and they explode. And, you know, if, in that situation, true reconciliation and healing are not possible until they are able to receive the truth in a more healthy way. But here's the deal. We have done what Jesus has called us to do by going to them. We have done what Jesus has called us to do. We have moved toward the conflict in order to try and bring healing and to make peace. We cannot control their response. We can't. We can do what Jesus is calling us to do, but we can't control our response. We can pray, we can love them, but we don't have to trust them. We don't have to trust them. They have to earn that trust by proving themselves to be emotionally healthy enough for a closer relationship. Now, if you're married to this person that I'm describing, that makes this a huge challenge. And I would just strongly encourage you to seek counseling to help you engage in healthy conflict resolution so that you feel heard. Counseling can be helpful in that. And let me just say also, if your spouse is asking for the two of you to go to counseling in order to address some area of conflict, you need to go. <laughs> if your spouse is asking for this, you need to go. I know it's hard because it will mean facing some things in your own life that you'd rather not face, but it is the way of Jesus. Be a peacemaker. 
by being willing to get help for your marriage. It is too important of a relationship to think that, that doing nothing will help because it won't, it won't. Doing nothing doesn't help. Time doesn't heal all wounds. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't, okay? Now, I know this, this whole idea of being a peacemaker sounds really hard, um, but I, I want to encourage us in this. Yes, it is hard, which provides this beautiful, powerful opportunity to more fully lean into Jesus, right? I mean, really, because Jesus knows firsthand the cost of reconciliation. It cost him his life on the cross. He shed his blood for our reconciliation and to enable us to be reconciled to other people. He knows the price of this. So pursuing peace provides this beautiful opportunity to lean into him, to acknowledge our fear. I don't want to talk to them, but God help me. You know, acknowledge our fear, trust him for strength, and with his presence move toward the conflict in a healing way. I mean, this really is an amazing opportunity for us to live out this all things with Christ vision that we as a church are embracing all things with Christ, where his presence actually gives us the courage to do this when everything within us just wants to avoid that conversation. I mean, when you really think about it, Jesus' vision in, in, in Matthew 5, verse 9, that we've been talking about, his, his vision for us to be peacemakers is incredibly inspiring. It is incredibly inspiring, especially in a culture like ours, where fragmented relationships and unhealthy ways of dealing with conflict are all around us and on television and on social media constantly. In our workplace, social media, in our families, our schools, our political environment, this is our culture, unhealthy ways of dealing with conflict. What a radical, countercultural healing thing Jesus is calling us to live out. I mean, what an inspiring vision he is calling us to pursue, to be peacemakers. Let's lean on Jesus and fully embrace this calling, this vision, and let's watch him do amazing things as a result. Because remember what he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. All right, let's pray together. So I want to just stop for a moment here in, in prayer, just in the quiet of our heart, and I want us to think about the price Jesus paid for us to be reconciled to him. the courage that it took to go to the cross for us. Jesus, you gave your all to make peace, to be a peacemaker. And we are so grateful for the way you have impacted our lives and the strength you give us to be peacemakers. 
So let's just ask him right now, just Lord Jesus, just this, a question in the quiet of your heart between you and the Lord. Lord Jesus, are there any relationships in my life right now where I have been peace-breaking or peace-keeping rather than peacemaking? Where there are conversations that need to be had, but we're not having those for fear of whatever. So if, if any relationships came to mind at work, in your family, wherever, if any of those relationships came to mind, let's just ask, take a moment and just ask Jesus to give you the courage to move toward that conflict in a healthy way. By examining your own heart before the Lord. And releasing all bitterness and judgments, all that. And then by going to this person to gently engage in a conversation. So Lord, we pray for the strength, we pray for the courage to lean into you and to have those conversations, God. And that you would bring blessing, you would bring healing, you would bring reconciliation into all of our lives and our relationships as a result. God, help us to be peacemakers with your strength, God. So we want to just continue in an atmosphere of prayer, response, worship. Um, you, you may want to just remain seated, which is totally fine. Um, as the worship team kind of leads us, maybe you're still processing some things. Maybe there's someone here that you need to go reconcile with or need to make an appointment or set up a, a time. Whatever the Lord is doing in your heart, just let him do that. There are places to kneel to my right and left. And for those who want to stand, you can stand. Prayer team is available during this whole section here of the service. So Jesus, we love you. We worship you. Thank you for being our peacemaker. And we praise you, God. Set us free right now to, to worship you. We just, we love you, God. We love you.